Blog Talk Radio. All right, welcome to another segment of the Cisco and Falzone Hour broadcast in politics. Tonight with Cisco Costa and Mark Falzone and guests, John O'Connor. He served as assistant attorney in Northern California, representing the United States in both criminal cases. And he has a book out, How the Washington Post Betrayed Deep Throat, Covered Up in Watergate, and began today's partisan advocacy journalism. If, if people don't remember or don't recall, Deep Throat was involved with Watergate, how the Democrats went in and, and, and stole some important documents that were going to really impact the Republican Party. So um, that was in 19, in, in, in the late 60s, early 70s. So uh, he'll be on the program in, in a little while. Let's talk about the good things that happened. Uh, lately, um, we had a Supreme Court win in Wisconsin, which makes our Constitution, we the people, resonate. And I t- I'll tell you something. The governor in Wisconsin, he was totally blown away. Wisconsin is back in business, and we need the Midwestern states to really come up because we got that little tyrant in, in Michigan, and then we have the, uh, the tyrant in New York, in New Jersey, in Pennsylvania, in California, and the state of Washington. I don't know. I think all these tyrants, all these governors are competing to see who's going to be the biggest tyrant. They must be in a war out there for being the biggest tyrant because the governor of Washington right now, in my opinion, is leading the pack. He said, and I quote, if you don't take your coronavirus test, you will not be allowed to go and food shop. You'll be locked up in your house. That's incredible. I've never in my lifetime heard a governor, a politician say something like that. The governor, the mayor of Chicago, Lori Lightfoot, said we must implement the new world order. We must really come down and restrict and pass legislation. We're talking about these these Democrats have been exposed totally as tyrants. And if in November... You don't vote them out, the individuals that are supposed to be voted out, then we deserve to get what we, we're going to be getting. Because in none of the red states has any of those governors actually done what these governors in the blue states are doing, keeping healthy people quarantined and locked up. That was my rant. Mark, go ahead. Yes, good, good, good rant, good rant. But yeah, my rant is is going to uh, be a uh, macroscopic <laughs> approach, and uh, that is, I, I'm, I mean, if you go on Facebook, you go on Twitter, you listen to the news, it's lies twenty four by seven by three sixty five. My head's about to explode. I can't stand it anymore. And, you know, before this, before we were on the air, I spoke to Cisco. Well, why haven't we started boycotts against Microsoft and AT&T? Because they're the two stinkers that are funding these, this, you know, we don't even have a media anymore. It's a public relations arm of the DNC. That's what we have, with few yes. exceptions here and there. We even lost Drudge Report, for Christ's sake. That's my rant. I'm sick of the lies. How about you? Definitely, definitely. The lies just keep coming. And, 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 and this, this whole pandemic, a fake pandemic, has actually become an opening for these Democrats to attack the Constitution. And if people cannot see what's happening... Then again, like I just said before, be prepared to become a slave to these tyrants because they got a little taste of power, and that power they don't want to give up. 
So let's um, get in touch with Mr. Our guest tonight, John O'Connor, and he is going to really be someone that is going to really tell us exactly what is constitutional and what's unconstitutional in today's world because we keep hearing this and that, but let's get the the answers from the professional. John John O'Connor. John, welcome. How are you? Great. How you doing? All right. I have Mr. Mark Falzone, our co-host uh, here, and uh, just basically waiting and, and, and looking forward to inter- our interview tonight. John, briefly, I, I, touched up, I touched up on that you served as assistant U.S. attorney in Northern California from 1974 to 1979, representing the United scratch, States. Scratch, scratch, scratch the 1974 to 1979. Just, just okay. scratch that part. I hate, I hate that part. Okay. okay, so go ahead, go ahead. Go, go ahead. Go ahead. But other and, than and, that, it's and, great. And give uh, your um, what you've done covering and in, in, in regards to well, you the constitutional. You can do that. Just scratch. Just scratch the 1974 to 79, <laughs> if you will. Right. Okay, do that. And then no, otherwise, but, you're fine to go. You're good to go. And then I can I can add to that. But go ahead and do that. I just it bothers me. I'm trying to get everybody to get rid of it. And I try to tell my publicist, my secretary, please. It's like a woman telling her age. You know, I don't want to do it. You know. Well, you're a constitutional lawyer, and uh, correct. And. Constitutional lawyers today are really, really important because we're dealing with a a critical situation uh, because of this pandemic that that came aboard and it impacted the whole world. So one of the things that that my listening audience, the listening audience has, has been asking me is what's constitutional and what's unconstitutional? In regards to the present day, what's going on here? I'll, I'll get into that. I'll get into that and how to look but, at. Uh, I, I yeah. will do that. I'll give the the, the viewers, uh, the listeners, a sort of a, a measuring stick, the way to look at it, and the way the courts are trying to look at it now. Fantastic. So, you, if you want to add any extra uh, things that you've done in your career besides, you know, being a, uh, an assistant attorney, uh, district attorney in sure. Northern California. Sure, I'd be happy to. I've done a bunch of stuff. I sued Mark Cuban. I've done this and that. I've done a lot of things. Yeah. Okay. And in in regards to the, uh, I think it was the oil. The um, what was right, it? right. I represented I represented the United States government in the OPEC oil crisis. OPEC. I OPEC later oil. represented. I later represented the government in the. Um, in the savings and loan crisis, um, uh, I represented the tobacco companies when they were getting sued. I, I, you know, I've, I've had a lot of. Then I represented Coach Don Nelson in his cases against owner Mark Cuban of the Dallas Mavericks. Right. Right. Uh, won, won six and a half million bucks from Cuban. Um, and otherwise, then I represent the government in the Patty Hearst case. Uh, so I've had a I've had sort of a full career. I've tried a lot of cases throughout the country in, in every particular area. So just about everything I've done. So, uh, so I, I, I've done an awful lot of constitutional work from every particular angle on okay. this thing. Whether it's on behalf of the uh, whether you're talking about the savings and loan or the oil impact uh, or oil the OPEC oil. Uh, impact uh, right. from other programs where we are restricting people's rights. How far can the government go? How far can they, where do they have to stop? And that's really the big issue in all of this. And you have to use, you know, very measured thoughts and standards as to how to do it. But I think I can explain this for your, for your listeners. Definitely. Before we go on to, touching on some of these cases and, 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 and some of the unconstitutional and constitutional. The Patty Hearst, real quick, I was a kid when it was a Patty Hearst. What was, and I, and I still vividly remember, because her father was William Hearst, who was a, a publisher right, in San right. Francisco. She, 
Right. I and mean, going up, saying, going know, up, is... right, going up against William Hurts, very famous, very, uh, very wealthy. How was that experience uh, uh, being going up against someone like that powerful in 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 in, Cal- in California and in, in, in the United States? Well, also remember, he hired at the time the best traveler in the United States, who was Eftly Bailey at the time. Yes. And, uh, it was so called. It was called at the time the trial of the century. And uh, but what is important is is just to try to think about the way you can pierce what they're doing. And I actually came up with a way to do it, and I can explain for your listeners yeah. uh, how we did it in that case so that the jury made it easy for the jury because they liked Patty Hearst. She's a nice girl. She really was. She's a nice girl, but she did willingly join the SLA. But my point is, I, and I can tell your listeners how we did it, and right. actually I was just a junior guy at the time, but I came up with the idea to do it. And uh-huh. we got lucky, and I can tell them about it. It's It basically Definitely. involves uh, taking the Fifth Amendment 42 times before the jury, and uh, we got <laughs> her to do that, and which was not a foregone conclusion. And once we did that, the jury said, okay, the instructions are, if you refuse to answer a question because of a an illegitimate exercise of the Fifth Amendment, the jury can uh, uh, presume that your answer would be unfavorable to you. And that's what we did in the case. Wow. And basically the tide, the tide turned, and uh, she, and, and, and as, as it should have, and uh, they convicted her. I liked her. I visited her in jail. I'm the only one of the prosecutors who visited her in jail. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I handled her, prosec- her, her uh, psychiatrist and spent a lot of time with him. I was his handler. Right. So I probably know more about, now that he's dead, I know more about her dreams than anybody in history other than her, and maybe she's forgotten them. But, <laughs> but he used to, we used to ride around together and talk, and I just spent a lot of time with him. And he would talk to her about her dream. He spent several long sessions with her. And, uh, right. and I understand her. I, I, feel, I felt I understand her, and I actually had a lot of empathy for her. I think she's kind of a spunky girl. I liked her, but did she join the SLA? Of course she did. If I were a judge, yeah. I wouldn't have sent her. I wouldn't. I wouldn't have sent her more than an hour in jail. But was she guilty? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I think the judge was too harsh in the sentencing. If I were, if I had anything to do about it, I'd say, hey, you know, we've convicted you. Now go home, go home to your mother and father, and and you know. So so I had sort of an an interesting view on it. Not everybody felt the way I did, but I felt that way. That, you know wow, what? Can I just recount for the younger listeners? Uh, that SLA Mr. O'Connor referred to was the Symbionese Liberation Army. They, yes. they right, which is yeah, that. which was one of the big terrorist groups, which is with the time a right. terrorist group. And they had initially kidnapped Patty Hearst, but then she was convicted because it looked like she actually uh, joined them. You know, I don't know if it was a Stockholm syndrome situation right. well, or that, what. Well, well, that was the defense. The defense was Stockholm syndrome. She clearly sent out recordings saying she had joined the group and she was Tanya and was now a revolutionary, and it showed her in a beret holding a submachine gun while she was robbing a bank. Mm-hmm. And I'm walking down the aisle in my um, in my office one day, and this guy who handles bank robbery stops me, and he had just gotten some pictures from the FBI, and he says, hey, John, I just got these pictures from the FBI. Look at these. What do you see here? And he showed me the pictures, and there had been a robbery at the Hibernia Bank. There were, we had bank robberies all over the place in the U.S. Attorney's Office. It's no big deal. They were very common crimes. And he showed me the pictures, and my God, there's Patricia Hurst there with the beret on. I said, Mike, Mike, am I looking at Patricia Hurst here? And he looked at me, and he said, you sure are. This is wild. And that's when it started. Now, it wasn't until a year later that they actually arrested her. But wow. uh, it was a wild, wild time. And, of course, in California, it was a wild, you know, <laughs> a wild decade. Let's put it that way. I mean, there's so much stuff happened out here that was beyond making up. You couldn't believe it. But that was one of the most bizarre. And, of course, once they kidnapped her, they forced William Randolph Hearst to give away free food to everybody. They were doing all kinds of stuff while they harbored right. her. 
And then, of course, a bunch of them burned in a in a shootout, but she was not in, in the house that burnt to a crisp. And, and it goes on and on, but it was a very, very, you couldn't make it up. Let me put it that way. And every day in trial, uh, there were hundreds of people trying to force their way into the courtroom and and so forth. And, uh, and of course, only a few could get in. And uh, you didn't have the electronic uh, communications that you do today. And so it was, but, but it was very sensational. And uh, I had a lot of fun. I was also the messenger guy because I was the youngest guy in the office at the time. And besides handling the psychiatrist, I I carried all the messages to Bailey every night, you know, the written, handwritten letters and he would hold court with the reporters and drink his scotch. And so I hung out with <laughs> Bailey a lot. I kind of had fun doing that. You know, I just, I had a blast. I had a blast doing well, this. I got well, to know Patty Hearst. I got to know Bailey. I got to have fun and, uh, and know about the case. And, uh, you know, we're, we're honored to have, uh, uh, celebrity here. <laughs> well, that's Who what I there. call myself. That's what I call myself. I'm not sure my <laughs> wife calls me that, but I call myself that. You know, definitely, definitely. Uh, I mean, I was a little, uh, I was a little kid at that time, but I, I remember my dad talking about it and everything. But anyway, thank you for sharing that wonderful, wonderful story. Uh, yes, constitutional, unconstitutional, wearing a mask. Constitutional, unconstitutional. Forcing, I would say, yeah, forcing. I would someone say, to wear, yeah, wear a mask. I would say that unless you have a, a connection to, for instance, let's say a government building. If you're the government, you can clearly make rules about who can go in your government building. Okay. And, 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 and in what way they are clothed. So I think you can clearly make people wear a mask in a government building uh, if you want to. Now, this is the federal government. Now, you get into another question when you have a clash between federal and state rules. So if President Trump now goes to Michigan and the governor says, you've got to wear a mask if you go into that factory, and Trump says, I'm not going to wear a mask, I think you have a real gray area of the Constitution where uh, the question is is whether that state law can trump what President Trump says is the state is the is the federal standard and I would say that it would probably be an unconstitutional restriction on interstate commerce to say Trump you can't come to our factory unless you're wearing a mask I think that's unconstitutional now can the governor uh, uh, ban masks in state buildings. I think she can, uh, but there are there is only so far you can go to exercise this police power. The police power meaning health and safety regulations. And so what we're seeing is we're seeing that the courts are now starting to look at this uh, in Wisconsin. They just right. allowed people to 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 be free, and even in Oregon in which they put a stay on the judge's order that shut down the res- the governor's restrictions. They haven't made a final decision yet. I think they just want to take their time and look at it closely. But the fact is, there's only so much you can do to the ind- individual liberty of somebody. For instance, let me give you an example. You want to um, provide services to your buddy down the street. You're good at something. You're good at, you're an electrician, let's say. And he says, okay, I want you to do this to my house. And you say, okay, fine. I'd like to do it. You're complying with the regulations of the city. Okay. What business does the government have to come in and interfere with your contractual relationships? I think it is very, very tenuous to say you can interfere with those on a sustained basis. Now, maybe for 7 or 14 or 20 days, if there's some pandemic or uh, we're getting bombed by China or something that is an emergency, yes, you can justify anything, any order. The shorter it is, the more you can justify it under the emergency powers that are 
given to any governor or, for that matter, the president. You have emergency powers. Now, at a certain point, those powers are no longer emergency powers. They are powers uh, that are really relating to your everyday existence going on and on and on. You can't do that. You cannot restrict people because what you're doing now is we now have this thing called the Fifth Amendment. You cannot take property without uh, due process and just compensation for a taking. And so you need due process, and if you take somebody's property, it's got to be just compensation. So if you're going to take, hypothetically, if you're going to take the business of a hair salon or if you're going to take away the business of an electrician, at some point, <clears throat> you got to pay for it if you're going to do that. And I think you probably also have to have the right legislation. Now, maybe you haven't enacted it, but you okay. can't just do it and say, okay, we don't have to pay for it. I'm sorry. But, but You're John, on, John, on very thin constitutional ice. Yeah. John, uh, according to what my understanding is, these executive orders that these uh, governors have uh, implemented or executed – they have a 28-day limit. In some of these states, that 28-day limit has surpassed. That's number one. Number two, they never got approval from the legislators because an executive order is not a law. Well, that's right. This is where I have a problem. I have a real problem where, you know, you go to, you go to grade school and they teach you that you've got three branches of government and one makes the laws and one enforces the laws and so forth. I've always had problems with the executive branch making laws, regulations, rules. That should be from the legislature. Now, uh, at least when you have regulations from some agency someplace, it's pursuant to a law that's been duly passed. These governor's executive orders are just basically uh, willy-nilly. I'm going to order you not to do this or that. I'm going to say, well, you know something? I don't think you should go fishing. Literally, that's what they did in Michigan. I don't think you should go fishing. Well, wait a second. You better have a law passed by legislature with due process under the law as it is uh, enacted in, in Michigan to to do this, and sure, if you come up with the law and you come up with a valid basis and you say, okay, we find there's a valid basis for this law and you can't fish anymore, okay, I'm with it. But by executive order, no, no. Now, the, gov- the governor should have some health and safety powers, but those should be limited. Those should be limited in duration, limited in time, limited to a true emergency. But if I'm a litigant going before a court, I'm going to say, Judge, the, the government better show cause why I have to restrict my activities. What is the emergency that allows her to do this past 28 days or, for that matter, past seven days? What is it that allows her just uh, uh, without any legislative guidelines to do this? I would say – it is the height of unconstitutionality because you are making it, it – is, and look, due process of law, what does the Fifth Amendment mean when you're saying you have to pass laws under due process? What is due process? Well, is it due process that the government can just make it up when she's sitting at home in her chair? Uh, that's not due process of the law. Uh, and then the second thing is if you do any kind of restriction for too long – you run into the other Fifth Amendment problem. You've got a taking. You cannot take property under the Fifth Amendment without just compensation. So if you're going to do this, you better pay for it. If you're going to tell me I can't run my hair salon, pay me. Pay me like an insurance policy. Give me business interruption insurance. If I don't have it, give it to me because you're stopping me from doing my work. That's where I would say this is. And that's where I think the courts are really getting very uncomfortable with these orders, even in liberal states, even in liberal states, even in blue states. They're getting very uncomfortable with the very um, uh, irrational, peremptory rules, arrogant rules of, uh, of these governors who are power mad. 
And so right. I think we have today in America a great uh, clash between the ends of liberty on the one hand and the government's power for health and safety on the other. There's only so much the government can do. And at some point, you got to say, look, pay your money and take your chances. Everything right. you and I will do today will bear some risk. I will get in my car. There's some risk that without my fault, somebody's going to run into me. Uh, I could just name all kinds of things. I can walk down the street and an anvil could hit me. There's only so many risks that the government that the government should be able to uh, try to avoid. Otherwise, it's just you as on your own individual initiative determining what you do and what you don't do. Yes, but I, I, I think I think the the courts, and correct me if I'm wrong, they're basically becoming a more partisan. And I'll give you I'll give you the example. If, if you're in the state of Wisconsin, four out of the seven judges were conservatives, and they voted in favor of getting rid of the stay-at-home order. The majority of the judges in Oregon tend to lean to the left. And right. they basically, uh, uh, they, they sided with Katie Brown. So we have, right. are we becoming more of a partisan court right. when it comes to these decisions on, uh, on a state level? Right. Well, one of the things that is happening, I think one of the diseases of modern days is this partisan view where it wasn't so much in the 1950s, 1960s, even the 1970s. You didn't find that much partisanship. But now you are getting, people are getting further uh, apart from one another and think about this. Think about this. If, if you're asking about partisanship, the president comes up with a statement. It may be good. It may be bad. But he says, I think it's a good thing. I see this hydroxychloroquine and uh, Zipromax could be a good a palliative. It's not a cure, but it's a palliative for coronavirus. Well, the, the question that he's dealing with is a scientific one. It's a practical one. It has nothing to do with politics. But yet, what happens? Immediately, everybody who hates Trump says, oh, he's completely wrong. He's terrible. He's taking this. He's morbidly obese. It's, it's a ridiculous thing. Now, wait a second. What we're doing is we are now politicizing even uh, – you know, practical, scientific things. Why shouldn't we say, okay, you know, if if it turns out that this stuff works, then that's fine. If it doesn't work, fine. But what does it have to do with Trump? Whether Trump likes something, if Trump liked a treatment for cancer, the left would say, don't take it because Trump likes it. And there's something really profoundly wrong with that. Hi there. And it really is is very against the American... Uh, the American way. Yeah, and, and, and the thing the thing that is really, really interesting about this whole politicizing the whole process is these are the same individuals that will tell me that I should listen to a 16-year-old dropout, 17-year-old called Greta Thunberg from Sweden because she knows so much about climate change but not to listen to President Trump because he, he's not a doctor or knows anything about medicine. I mean, it's well, right. just ridi- ridiculous. You know, the, the, the well, well let, me, let me ask you, let me comment on that. Let me comment on that. The fact <laughs> is, is Greta Thunberg listens to conclusions of other people. And so I understand her. I mean, she listens to the people that talk with authority and she says, well, if this is so authoritative, why shouldn't we all do this? And I understand that. The problem is, the problem is there's some seriously um, uh, interesting science which says that this whole global warming thing, at least as to CO2, is is exaggerated. The science, everybody says on the left, oh, we're looking at science. It's not science. The science says that doubling the carbon dioxide will maybe, maybe cause a degree centigrade warming. Unless there's some um, factor that is um, 
you know, that, that is a, a feedback factor, that is a positive feedback factor. But the fact is, if we look at science, all the science tells us that the Earth has not been warming for 20 years. I mean, right. that's true. And nobody wants to say that the Earth has not. That's why we went from global warming to climate change, because the people in the know on the other side knew that, hey, we're not warming anymore. Well, right. we're still increasing our carbon dioxide. And if we're increasing our carbon dioxide, but we're not warming, well, maybe, just maybe, carbon dioxide is not the big driver. It's a little factor. It's a small factor. I agree with that. But it's not the driver. And I'll tell you one thing. And so when people say, oh, we're scientific, we believe in science, BS, it's not about science at all. And you'll see it here. The attitude about hydroxychloroquine is it very much anti-science. Why not have an open mind to it? That's what scientists do. Why not have an open mind to the fact that maybe, just maybe, carbon dioxide doesn't cause the the hypothesized harm that it does? All the global warming computer programs uh, predict a much stronger effect of uh, increased carbon dioxide that is never proven out. All the computer models just don't prove out. And if they were right, we would have much higher temperatures, but we don't. And that's why, because they're making these assumptions. It's not scientific at all. But we're told it's false science. It's false yep. science. And the reason, the reason that the science is being promulgated is because there is a view by certain socialists, a guy named Maurice Strong, who started this yes. whole thing, the Canadian yes, socialist. And, can, and yeah, Canadian, and, and he... Exactly. You know about him then, and I'm not telling you anything new, but Maurice Strong just doesn't like the fact that our, our, he wants to slow down uh, our, our, our business uh, uh, development, that's all. And he wants everybody to live like we do in Cuba and, and eat beans and, <laughs> drive 50, and drive 54 Fords around, okay? Well, let me uh, – uh, 732-539, do you have a question for John? Actually, no. I, I'm just listening for now. Okay, fantastic. So getting back, uh, we deviated away from, from, from the constitutional to the global warming. And by the way, computer models have not worked. They have not worked for global warming, and they have not worked for coronavirus. As the Imperial uh, College, which basically a lot of these computer models were based on, have been proven to be wrong. So so much for computer yeah, they're models. models. They're models. They're, yeah, Neil Ferguson. they're models. they're Neil Ferguson's models. That's right. That's right. Exactly. Yeah, so. Uh, so where do we go in regards to we, – we have Wisconsin, where it's a partisan conservative majority. Oregon, the majority is liberal. And then we have states that are, they, they swing both ways. So where, where do you see the future of, of, of these Supreme Court decisions – impacting our country or are these decisions going to be taken to the highest level the, the the supreme court of the united states well the supreme court does not want to hear everything they would rather have them play out at the state level and thank god i think they are uh, because really some of these should be play out at the state level and people should sort of like Part of our federal system is is that what's right for Oregon may not be exactly right for Wisconsin, and 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 there are only certain principles where the federal government should intervene. If anything, if you're fairly conservative, you shouldn't want the federal government to come in and tell you too much what to do. So we have, if you're fairly conservative or don't believe in in activism like Greta Thunberg, then to a certain degree. You're going to let you're going to say, OK, maybe I disagree with what's going to happen in Oregon, but uh, it is federalism. Every state and every locality should have its difference. Uh, we'll let it go. So maybe that's the way we're going to go. Here's what I see is the long range problem in American politics. The progressive view of life will not admit to any revisions based upon facts no matter what happens 
in global warming, then all of a sudden it's climate change because they won't admit defeat. Uh, and it, it's, it's, it's very much where ideology, it's almost like, uh, you know, it's, we're, we're sort of, I, I don't want to say communism. I mean, I don't want to act like I'm a communism hater, but it's the same thing. Any ideology, uh, the ideology is usually preferred over facts. And so what happens is now is we now have progressive ideology, and if something happens that uh, contradicts progressive ideology, well, gosh, we just ignore it. And we go on and we claim that then, then, then we claim that, that there must be uh, something wrong with what, what, uh, what happened. But I think that uh, the, the thing we face here is there is a certain number of people in this country that will prefer ideology over anything. And you cannot, and, and, it's, and it's almost like we're back in the Middle Ages. And I'm a Catholic, and mm-hmm. it brings me back to the Middle Ages where no matter what you said or did, if you said the earth actually moved around the sun, you would be put to death because that contradicted the ridiculous Catholic doctrines at the time that had no basis in what Jesus said. But it was against Catholic doctrine. Now we have the same thing. If you go against the established secular religion that is much like the old-time Catholic religion, uh, then basically you're burned at the stake. So there's a real battle going on to see whether Western uh, society can continue to exist. That is to say, where we are truly enlightened, where we judge things based upon reality and not upon ideology, because if we base things on ideology, we're no different than the Catholic Church was. And I'm a Catholic, so I don't, I don't, uh, you know, I'm not, I, 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 I criticize what was happening. Right. Uh, we should not base everything on ideology. It should be the facts and the truth come first. And that's what Galileo was saying. Look, guys. <laughs> the Earth actually travels around the Sun. Admit right. it. Come on, let's get with it. And and no, no, let's 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 threaten him and make him confess and so forth. And many many people have burned at the stake because they had the wrong opinions, even though they were correct. So we are. It's a natural human tendency to come up with irrational. Uh, opinions about things and not just simply and, and one of the beauties about American uh, democracy is is that it was based on enlightenment where everybody could say anything they wanted the truth would come out you have a marketplace of ideas I don't care if the if people prove something that's different than I think well wonderful for them then that's fine right. then we'll go with that but we but do John- not have that anymore yeah, and, and 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 that's what I'm getting at. We have a couple of things that are happening today that never happened when I was growing up, and and when everyone here who's on the panel and was growing up. I mean, we have now we have drones in New Jersey, in in Florida, in different parts, basically keeping an eye on the public to to see if they maintain a six distance. That's number one. Number two. Then we have someone like Bill Gates pushing, and he's always on, 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 on the media, pushing mandatory vaccines to a certain level. I mean, these things are happening right now. Constitutional, unconstitutional. Well, that's right. You've got a good point on the vaccines. The problem yeah. is there will always be a battle because the people who think they know the most should force everybody else to do something else other than they think is right, like Bill Gates. He's a great guy, gives a lot of money out, but every now and then he gets over his skis. And so it's a constant, the best thing that was ever said, it was Benjamin Franklin. He said, we have a republic if we can keep it. It's not something that is foreordained. We have to really constantly, constantly struggle to keep our freedoms, the freedoms. And that was, and it's very hard for human beings to say, let's be free, because everybody has their ideas, and especially the elite people who want to tell everybody else what to do. 
we have a constant, constant battle to keep ourselves free, even if we do something stupid. It's fine. If we do something stupid, we're going to learn from it. You stub your toe enough, you'll quit doing what you need to, what you're doing to stub your toe. Let people be free. And that's sort of what Adam Smith was saying in 1776. Let people make their own economic decisions, and, and we will have – it will be the best thing for everybody. Adam Smith was a moral philosopher. He wasn't an economist. His basic thought was this is the most moral thing for us to do is to let everybody make their own decisions about our property, our lives, our freedom, um, Aristotle said it when Plato came out, and this is just, I don't want to get too deep here, but Plato thought the best view, and there's still people who believe in Plato, that we should have these wise people, uh, these uh, philosopher kings telling us what to do. And they should tell us what to do. And Aristotle said, and, and, and no, nobody should have personal property. Aristotle said, wait a second, Plato's full of it. People treasure most dearly that which they call buying. If you give people personal property, you don't try communism. You try personal property, personal decisions with their lives and their property. They will eventually do the right thing. Why? Because they treasure it. That's Solomonic wisdom. Solomon said, okay, if you have a dispute as to whose baby it is, I'm going to split it. The woman who really had the baby was the one who said, no, I'm not going to allow my baby to be split. I'd rather give it to the other woman than have my baby split. That's mm -hmm. really the wisdom of Solomon. And basically, people do best when they own things, when they're allowed to make decisions about what they do, when the electrician decides whether it's too safe for him or too risky for him to do his business. We will all be better off if we respect one another. And you know something? When you talk about this whole idea, you know, the, the uh, progressives talk about as if they're more liberal and they love each other more. If you really care and respect for people, you will allow them to make their own decisions. You will allow them okay. to do what they do and respect it. And guess what? We'll actually all live together pretty darn well. I think the people who are on the right side of the spectrum are the people who are much more expansive and loving and caring about what they are doing. And I think it's about time that people articulate that and tell people that's what, uh, you know, sort of, I, I don't even want to call it conservatism. It's classical liberalism. Let people do what they want to do. It's classical right. liberalism. It's, you call it conservatism. It's, it's liberalism. But, but, uh, and it's under the but under the Constitution, John, are they allowed... Right to fly drones and monitor you and tell you that you have to be six foot distance apart from each other. I, I don't well, think so. Here's why. Here's yeah. why. I don't think a drone, a drone is not an illegal search. Okay. Because it's the public airwaves. Uh, so they can get away with saying that this is not a search when they see you out there five feet from somebody else. However, oh, okay. the question is, can they keep you from being six feet? What business is it of theirs that they are telling you you can't be six feet? I don't mind the drone. I mind the rule. And I think drones can be good. You can probably have drones, and if you see a burglary, that's great. It helps the cops. But the real problem is the law that says you can't be six feet away. Who are you as my rulers to tell me I can't, all of a sudden, I can't be six feet from somebody. I'm sorry, you can't do that. You cannot okay, do okay. that. You can do it on a temporary or emergency basis, but at a certain point, you are unduly restricting my right. Number one, how about this one? We have a freedom of association. You're now telling me I can't go to church and, and be there with my fellow parishioners? You're telling me that I can't assemble with my fellow protesters and protest the government? This is unconstitutional. This is very much against everything America stands for. And you know what? These governors love the coronavirus, the blue state governors, because it gives them power yes. to stop everything that had been yes. done 
you know, in this regard. So you're absolutely, let me just tell you this, you're absolutely on the right track in the questions you're asking. You're asking all the right questions, and those are the questions that people have to ask. Definitely. Now, now there, there, there's another aspect that really is kind of baffling me. When, when these governors say non-essential, essential, well, this virus must be the most intelligent virus I've ever seen in my life because they're telling you if you go to Target, you can go to Target, you can go to Costco, you can go to uh, Amazon and, and get things, but you cannot go to, uh, uh, you know, the gym or a salon or a nail place, uh, get a haircut. I mean, they started classifying what's essential and non-essential. That's unconstitutional, Correct. Well, think about this. Think about this. Are they saying that if they justify their laws on the grounds that they're protecting people, what about the so-called essential services? Are they now letting those people die because they're providing essential services? They're saying, oh, no, 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 they're safe. They're providing essential services. Well, okay. Hmm. Well, given whatever guidelines you have for curbside service, he had of those are the same guidelines for the inessential services. Uh, right. All people, Good. all people are the same. Why is that life different? Why, let, let, whichever way you categorize it, why is the life of an essential servant, a service person, less valuable than one that's inessential? Or you know, go the other way. Why should you bar an inessential person from making a living, whereas you let the essential person make a living? So. Whichever way you want to phrase it, uh, you should not. There's an arbitrary distinction there that just doesn't hold up the essential to the inessential. Now, obviously, social norms and mores can change, and we're going to, you know, I'm a, I'm a Warriors tick, season ticket fan here. Uh, I, I, I just <laughs> don't know what's going to happen to to watching Steph Curry with. 20,000 crazed fans. I'd love to do it. I'd love being with everybody and high-fiving everybody. Maybe those days are gone. I don't know. but And I can see that. But but let's get real here as to regular businesses and regular operations. Why can't you why, – why should you distinguish between essential and essential services? I don't see it. I don't see it. And well, it's unconstitutional. That's the problem. We're getting in every time – you make an arbitrary or capricious distinction, you're violating the Constitution because you're taking people's property. Definitely. Well, perfectly, you brought in California. You're a Warriors fan. We just had, a week and a half ago, we had Ellen, Ellen Musk from Tesla saying to the uh, to California governor, you know what, I'm going to open my shop. And, I, and he he went ahead and did it. And I'm going to move to Texas. Uh, but there's no there was no consequences for Mr. Musk. But there is a consequences well, for Mr. Mankey in Detroit, in Michigan. There was consequences for the the young lady in Dallas, Miss Luther. She was put in jail for a couple of days. Mr. Mankey, his license was revoked. So. It comes down again, they pick and choose, just like they did with Costco and the, the local mom-and-pop shop, what's essential and what's not essential. And, and, hey, Ellen Musk has a lot of money. So, basically, they didn't go ahead and take him to court and, and punish him. So it's a Well, let standard. me give you something. Let me, let me talk to you about Elon Musk. Now, here's yeah. my problem with Elon Musk. I, By the way, I know Gavin Newsom, and I know his wife better than Gavin, but – they're wonderful people, personally. <laughs> but but what I would say is this. The real problem I've got here is is that Elon Musk is now had it and is going to move out of the state. So we maybe he can escape an order of the court and so forth. But he said, I've had it. I'm going to go to Texas or Oklahoma. Now, here I am in California, and I would like businesses to stay here. I like businesses like Tesla. I like businesses you name them, but when we drive them out of the state, it's one thing. Look, certain businesses that are here in California, like Uber and Airbnb and some others, they're going to die because of this coronavirus. But 
a business like Tesla should not die. It should thrive, and he's kind of a California guy, and yet we have upset him so much he's going to move out of the state. So, yes, he escapes criminal jeopardy, but he's going to he's going to move out of the state. And now I don't know if you saw it, but Oklahoma City has a big statue of um, of Elon Musk outside the city. Now they <laughs> there was this it, it was a statue of an oilman, but they've now refigured it to make it look like it's Elon Musk with the Tesla logo on it. And everybody is competing for these 10,000 wonderful jobs from a wonderful employer that's right. at the top of his game. And you start to see, wait a second, I live in California. I'm looking out here at these beautiful hills in, in Marin County. I love this state. But I'm a fairly classical liberal guy. I call it conservative, call it classical liberal. But I'm afraid that all these businesses are going to leave my wonderful state. And the freedoms that we have here are now being trampled upon. Uh, you know, I, I don't have these real conservative doctrinaire uh, feelings. I just want I want a lot of people here. I want people to believe differently than I do, and I want a lot of people to thrive. And yet we're driving people out of this state. And well, now, yeah. yeah. You tell me. You, John, you, you, John, you have something. Yeah, tell me. John, John, I, I'll tell you something. I never thought that during these four years that California has the potential to basically vote for Trump or to start electing some conservative Republicans. I mean, Mike, Mike Garcia just won in California. Melissa Melendez also won in California. Uh are we seeing a, 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 a shift to the red in California, or is it too early to say that? Well, I think we are. The problem is, here's the real problem, and it's really a conundrum, because we are seeing a shift. But the problem is, an awful lot of people who feel that way are voting with their feet. We have seen an exodus in California in the last probably three years of all sorts of really well-educated, smart, middle-class people who want a life, who are not looking to be wealthy, but just want a nice life, send their kids to school, they're moving out of the state. So uh, the more people that move out, uh, if, if they had to stay here, they'd probably be voting red. Yeah. And so well, what we've got is, and so 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 now you're right though. What this may all change. This may be so cataclysmic that everything changes in California, and the people that are here say, "Wait a second, if we want to stay in this wonderful state, we got to change it." You've got a brilliant. It's a brilliant question you ask, actually. Thank you. Well, John, we have a nine oh nine four nine zero. Do you have a, a question for John? Hello. Uh, yeah. 843. Oh, you do? Okay, go ahead and ask um, Mr. O'Connor the question. Hello? Yes, hello. Yes. Hello, do we Please. have a question? Yeah. Yeah, okay. 843251, do you have a question for, uh, they just love your voice, uh, John. Yeah. 843251, do you have a question for John O'Connor? Actually, I have a statement. If I may. Okay, go, go ahead. What we have going on in America right now is the coming out of the Democratic Party and what they have been doing to every state they have they run. Um, they have destroyed California. Um, the Democrats are in it. Every everywhere, you know, like these senate, these governors that are, you know, saying you can't do this and you can't do that. Well, you know what? Uh, I say the Hipparites prevent me from wearing a mask, and um, uh, you know, you can't infringe on on my God-given constitutional rights. Period. And that's what these governors are doing. They're Democrats. They want they want America to lose. They hate Trump. 
Trump had the best economy ever. He's been the best president ever. He 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 does good things for all people, not only America. He tries to do good things all over the world. And the only reason the Democrats this was this was a planned attack. This this virus, this invisible virus, was a planned attack on Trump's economy and on us. Trump shut down America because the biological, they weaponized it. You know, they made this virus, they weaponized it, and well, they told him millions of people were going to die. Well, guess what? There's only six people in California that had COVID, that they, they say have COVID, coming from coming from the doctor there. And the CDC and the WHO, Trump just and Fauci fired all of them and put uh, his military, uh, his trusted military doctors in charge of coming up with uh, uh, medicine for diseases like cancer, you know, just like the, like the hydroxychloroquine. Um, you know, people say it helps the kids. Um, you know, we've had the cancer since the 30s. Um, the doctor that invented the microscope can't quite remember his name. Um, but we have, well, he, he, uh, they killed him, of course. But we have, we have all the technology to cure these diseases. And okay. we're having, what we're having right now, and look at Pelosi and Schiff, and look at the clown show that we have in the Democratic Party. It is pathetic for the American people to look that stupid. And I mean, you know, I mean, she, I, none of them. Well, let me cut. In. Let me cut in here. Let me cut in yep. here and 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 respond yes, to what you're saying. What you're saying yes, is very uh, because Trump, uh, Schiff, and Pelosi are completely ignoring what is happening here. They are politicizing the hydroxychloroquine thing, number one. They're politicizing the whole coronavirus thing, as they have politicized the whole Trump-Russia collusion thing. Mm -hmm. And they are not operating in our best interest as citizens of the United States. And I think that's what you're saying. That that exactly. is what is happening. Exactly what is happening. And thank you Definitely. for saying that. I think you're a patriot. You're a patriot. Thank you very much. Definitely. Quick, quick, quickly. Let let, 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 let me uh, touch up uh, um, quickly. Uh, Mike Flynn, I know you you had some perspective in regards to what happened, the travesty about what uh, Mike Flynn. We have about yeah. two minutes to go. So let me let me get into that. Uh, yeah. We've talked a lot about unmasking and so forth and so on. There was a lot of unmasking, and that's almost a red herring. There's a ton of unmasking. I think it's important, but it's not crucial. The unmasking by everybody that associated with Obama is mainly important for intent. It shows their intent to try to stop General Flynn. Why do they care about stopping General Flynn? They care because this guy knows all about Russian intelligence. He was there working with Obama, and if he gets in office, he's going to know that this Russian intelligence operation was a complete clown show, and he, he's going to know that it was, it was really illegal and, and based upon really lies. So they went after him to try to get him before, uh, before he could get them. But let me Definitely. give you a perspective here on this that all we're, of your listeners should be very uh, uh, focused on. Remember this. The investigation that they were under, undergoing was a counterintelligence investigation, not a criminal investigation that the attorney general handles, but a counterintelligence investigation under the president's constitutional authority. Right. If it is a counterintelligence investigation, the, as, as Susan Rice's memo says, it is the president and his national security team that has a right to all the information. Well, what happens the moment that Trump takes office? 
Comey and McCabe try to go in and question Flynn without telling John, him. John, we got 10 yes. seconds to go. I'm sorry, you got to come back again. It's, and we'll uh, let me very quickly, it's obstruction. It's obstruction of justice. We got to talk about this again. Definitely, definitely. Well, I'll be back. Thank you. Fantastic. Thank you, John, for coming on. And thank you, everyone. And we'll see each other next week on Broadcasting Politics with Cisco and Fox Phone Hour. All right. Have a good, good one. Thank you. America. See you now. Take care. See you right. now. Bye.